The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Thank you for joining me for another episode of The Things We All Carry. This week I sit down with Greg. Greg comes to us from Minnesota. He's a young firefighter with a few years of EMT and fire experience under his belt. He has just started a new rookie year after completing another fire academy. Greg was gracious enough to spend some time with me to share his story. He opens up about his childhood, his background, and experiences in fire and EMS, as well as the work he's put in to overcome struggles. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. I like to say so. so. It's been picking that up and it's driving me crazy when I say it right now. All right. Today we're sitting down with Greg. He's out of Minnesota. Greg's been a EMT for four years. He finds himself a, a rookie once again. He's moved to fire departments and he's trying to improve his quality of life through a better schedule. And I'll let him talk about his family life. And then we'll get into some of his background with the fire department. I'll let him talk about where he's at now. And we'll move on from there. So, Greg, welcome to the show. How you doing? Pretty good. Thank you for having me. That. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, so I was born in New Hampshire. I'm the youngest of eight. My mother and father divorced when I was three. Before that, my dad was a extreme alcoholic drunk. He used to beat my mom. So dealing with that as a young child, kind of through a dynamics, my mom and them decided to split more of my mom's decision than his. We moved about Two, three years after they split, my mom met, met another guy, took on the stepdad role, was together for 13 years. And then out of, out of the blue, they split. He wanted to move back to the East Coast. And at the time we were in Florida, my mom didn't want to. So she said, I'm done. I'm not done traveling. And then, I don't know, another year or so, my mom met what became my stepdad. They were married for 15 years. We just lost him a year ago. This June. Oh, sorry to hear that, man. Thank you. That was unexpected. If we knew it was our was going to be our last Father's Day together, I think we would have gotten more photos of him and the grandkids and of us kids with him. But nobody knew. I just woke up one morning. I called off work for some kind of reason. And my mom woke me up. She's like, hey, your stepdad just fell. I got up and helped him back up in bed and he kind of died. And I didn't really think of a whole lot. I mean, it's, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And I just went back to lay down on the couch. And next thing you know, my guys show up. Because my mom called 911 and they showed up. And I said there was a veteran. So there's no, hey, let's go to the hospital. And he was going like, hey, yeah, let's go. He's, no, I'm not going. Fuck that place. I'm staying home. Like the worst conditions that he's ever been in. 
for medical wise, he'll always tell you, I'm not going to the hospital. This morning, that morning, he, I looked at him, I was like, Hey pops, I think it's time for you to go. I was like, I think it's time for you to go. And he just looked at me. He's like, I was like, dumbfounded. The wife came over about eight that morning. My mom called me shortly after eight. I think it was like 8.15, and I was at the hospital by the time I was like 8.20. And the hospital was about 20 minutes from me. I was hauling ass in 90, 95. Got to the hospital, and 1.15 that afternoon, he passed away. I'm doing this for him, but also for myself, if that makes sense. He's been a big supporter of my choices that I've made in life, especially towards work. And then as an EMT, trying to accomplish, I thought and finally made something out of myself after my mom's ex-boyfriend telling me my entire life, I wasn't going to be doing anything. I was just going to be working at McDonald's piece of shit. Like my father, I'm an alcoholic. And I just wanted somebody to support me and believe in me. And that's what my stepdad did. So once I got my EMT, it's great. Congratulations. And I'm pumped. Hey, I finally made something out of myself and he's, you haven't made it because I haven't seen a paramedic on the wall yet. And until you get your paramedic, that's when you can finally say you made it. So after my probation this year, I plan on going back to school for my paramedic and doing it in honor of my stepfather. So yeah, growing up like earlier, it was hell. I think most of us in firefighting or in first responder, we come from a unique situation of dysfunctional. I think that's why we all seek out being in this line of work. It's been fun, but it comes with a lot of challenges. If I could look back on my experience and told the younger me be thinking of getting in this field, what to do, kind of how to handle things, I would have definitely done that. But looking back and looking forward in my career, I'm looking to help other people so they don't go down the same paths that I have done. Let's talk a little bit about your childhood. I know you said your parents divorced, your dad was an alcoholic. He was abusive towards your mom. Yeah. And he, where did you grow up? The predominant, the formative years, where did you grow up? Man, I was bouncing between motel rooms, campers, tents, farm fields in a camper, using the bathroom in Connecticut in the snow in a five gallon bucket because we had no running water. So you name it. That's pretty much where I grew up. I don't like camping. I hate it. I don't want a camper. I don't want a tent. The only reason I do camping is because my kids enjoy it and I don't want to rob them of something because I don't like it or I don't enjoy it. I love the outdoors. I love fishing. I love hunting. I just don't like the camping aspect because of that's the way I grew up. I never had a house to call my own. It was literally tents, campers, any campground that we could find. We'd stay there for months on end. I remember going through like fourth grade to like fifth grade, sixth grade almost living in a motel in a two small two bedroom motel room with three dogs. And then we bought a fifth wheel camper, went to Florida and that's what I lived in all the way until we moved up here. And then we got a decent, small, decent size. To me, it was still small, but a two bedroom apartment. That was like my first home that was in the camper. I actually had a bedroom. I had a, my own bed, a bedroom with a door. I basically, I grew up sleeping on couch couches, air mattresses. It was definitely not a fun childhood. We made the best of it. Me and my sisters, we made the best of it. But looking back at it, like now having kids of my own, I would never 
put my kids through that. So where did you go to high school? I went to high school up here in Minnesota. Graduated. I graduated in 2012. Was supposed to graduate in 2012 or 2010. But with us moving around so much, I was held back two grades. One of them was my fault. I had a lot of anger issues growing up. So I used to fight every day. I'd go back to school and I'd fight and get suspended. Go back to school, fight. There's no... Back then, there was no telling me like, hey, this is going to be the consequence of your actions. It was just no one could tell me anything. I just want to do what I wanted to do and how I was going to do it. And there's no one telling me otherwise because I didn't have that structure growing up. It was just, all right, you're eight years old. You're now the man of the house. How do I do that? And then found finding myself later on in my early teen years being the man of the house before my stepdad arrived and took over. But I, I don't, everything I've gone through in my life, I would not change because that just made me the person I am today. And I think that's what made me more driven when people told me that I couldn't get into this line of work. Speaking of this line of work, how did you find the fire service? So finding the fire service, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, there's, I wanted to join the military at one point and I wanted to do this and do that. And my buddy was like, Hey, come check out this fire program. It's called the fire explorers. And I'm like, okay, sure. And up to this point, there was no consistency in my life. So I would find something that I say I enjoy. And then I just drop it because it wasn't interesting in me. Like it was just boring after a while. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? Screw it. I have nothing to lose. I'll go check it out. And got in there in the first year. I was like, all right, hey, yeah, this is cool. And my mom said that I was like, all right, I give him another half a year or whatever, another couple of weeks, and he's going to quit. I stayed through it all four years throughout high school. Um, and I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to do this. And I toyed with the idea earlier on in childhood when my mom and dad split. My dad would pick me up every other weekend and we'd go to the fire station. So that was like our thing to do. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm like, this is awesome. And at four or five years old, was, this is awesome. I, I get to go look at fire trucks and play around. And so I played with that idea, but it wasn't until later on when I got into the fire explorers. And then I thought, I was like, all right, hey, yeah, I can see myself doing this. And I'll just show up after I graduate from high school and I get a pager and get some gear. And they're like, all right, cool. You're on your own. We'll see you at the next call. As I went on, uh, I realized that's not the truth at all. <laughs> There's a lot more to it than just being a firefighter. You have to be a either first responder or EMT or paramedic. And at the time I was in high school, my senior year was going through EMT. And I, just, I was like, this isn't for me. And then I got married. I had kids. I had two wonderful girls and uh, I got divorced and then moved back home to, to, with my mom and my stepdad sleeping on their couch. That's routinely for me, sleeping on couches. And I'm like, I'm working at landscaping for 10 bucks an hour. And then I got laid off because of the snow. And then I was like, okay, I have two kids divorced and I need it somehow to make, make money to support my kids. And so I ended up working at Jamie John's, the only fast food place I've ever worked in my entire life because I was determined because of my mom's ex-boyfriend telling me, oh, you're going to work at McDonald's, you're going to work at Burger King for the rest of your life. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you, man. You're not telling me what I'm going to do in my life. 
the only person that's going to be able to do that is myself. So I ended up sucking up my pride. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to work at fast food, but I have to because of my kids. And I suck up my, I suck up my pride and did it. I was making eight bucks an hour. And then I left that after a year or so, started working at a gym. And then I was like, I want to go after this fire dream of mine. Ended up enrolling into an EMT program. I paid on, paid it for myself. I failed because I got too cocky the first time I failed by 21 points. And I was devastated. I was like, this is what's really holding me up. I have my fire one, fire two. They're about to lapse. This is what I need is my EMT and get my foot in the door somewhere where I can renew my licenses for fire before I completely lose it. And that night that I failed, my instructor, I was in tears. I was pissed. More so, not pissed that I failed, but it was more like I let my kids down. Because I'm trying to do this for them. To let them know and show them like, hey, no matter how hard life gets, to keep pushing after what you want to do in life. My instructor sent me down. He was like, hey, here's a scoop. I have another class coming up in four months or in January. I think this was late November. It was like a couple months. And I would like to offer you to come back and take this class again, free of charge. And I was like, absolutely. So... Thankfully, again, I was, I got back into landscaping and I got laid off again due to the snow. And I just took four months off on unemployment, which kind of sucked, but at the same time, it's a blessing. And I literally just, from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, I was cramming EMT stuff. And then finally passed that, got hired as an EMT with that company and started working for four years. Got hired September 11th of 2017 as an EMT, which is, to me, that was like a calling, I guess. It was like, what better day to start this job and go down the route that you want to go down? So it's like a, I don't even know how to really explain it, but it just stood out in my mind. I'm like, all right, there, there's something behind this. And then I started working and then I really started pushing for my fire. I was like, all right, I'm getting experience as this. At this time, my all my fire certifications are not active anymore. They're expired because I'm not on a department to keep up with them. So with the EMT, were you working private transport or what were you doing at that? Yeah. Time? So this was like private EMS. So I'm doing transfers. I'm doing 911s. We had a couple PSAs. So I was kind of what doing are, both. Explain what a PSA is. So it's most of these fire departments have like basic BLS, basic ambulances, basic life support, where they don't transport. So anything like cardiac arrest, anything major trauma-wise, you have to have a paramedic. So we would contract with those cities of, hey, we'll be your ALS providers, we'll be your transport. So I did that for four years, about three years into it. I got on the fire department, finally. Same place that I was doing my Explorer program at. So it was like, a, it was home for me. I knew most of the guys. So I got on, started crushing it, went through the academy, no problems, got out of the academy. And I'm like, all right, I want to do this full time. Sadly, my department is a, a combination. So it's paid on call and full time. But 
once you get full time here, nobody leaves. So the next opening is going to be like another 10 years, if not maybe even longer. So I just, just worked both jobs between EMT and firefighting and went through my mental health. Never started taking over between COVID and a few of the calls that we've had and then also losing a close friend of mine. So I, yeah, I think that COVID is one that oddly enough, I haven't discussed with many people yet on the show. And I think maybe when I get to the hospital staff, I might hear some more nurses, especially yeah. in the emergency room and how they were stretched thin during the pandemic. But yeah, COVID definitely, it caused some issues for everybody. I think there's a, a lot of those transports, you're taking them to the hospital and you just know what the outcome is going to be. I, I don't know if that was your experience or if you're speaking of something different. Oh no, absolutely. You nailed it right there. Being stretched thin, we would have new employees come and they get on the ambulance and they're like, all right, Hey, you got a COVID transfer and they'd start breaking down in tears. They didn't want to do it. And at that time I'm working four days a week. 10 hours a day. And that's from the start of my shift to the end of the shift. That's all I was doing is transfers of COVID patients. And then coming home to a stepfather that was ill. And I'm like, if I catch this and I bring it home and he catches it, that's a death sentence for him. And just seeing these people on hospice and whatever else going to these care centers and the care centers are all on lockdown. So the next time the family may see this person is in a casket or who knows, or by a window. I don't even think the window visits were even an option at that time, but dealing with that and pulling up to care centers and you see all these families coming out and they just want to see five seconds of their loved ones and tell them that they love them. The hospitals that we were taking these COVID patients to, we ended up bringing over two or three ambulances and we were literally stacking bodies in there because the morgues were getting so backed up and there's no other places for them. So you're dealing with that and then you're coming home. Like I started leaving my uniforms at work, my boots. I started showering after I got off. And then when I got home, I'd shower again. And it just played a huge toll doing it in day in and day out. My wife, she works in the hospitals. She understands it. She was going through the same things there. So her and I can relate on those kinds of things like that. And then you're waking up the next morning and you're supposed to be all jolly and happy. And I ended up catching COVID about a year into it. I just, a, a week before Thanksgiving and I was quarantined for 14 days. And that's really when the depression started hitting. Like here I am isolated from everybody. I can't work. That's really driving me nuts. I missed my daughter's seventh birthday because I had COVID and it just took a huge toll. I started drinking. I just turned into somebody that everybody told me that I was going to turn into like my father growing up and that's who I was turning into. And it was something I had to look in the mirror and really look at myself and what the fuck are you doing? You made it this long proving everybody wrong and you're going through this now and you're proving everybody like they knew that you were going to fail and that you're going to go down this route. And uh, that was like, a, that was a huge wake up call for me. During the entire COVID period, you're still running other calls as well though, correct? Oh, absolutely. And you're still, you're working fire and EMS at the same time? Yes, sir. So separate fire and EMS at the same time. Correct. Correct. So what was happening on the fire side and it, what was adding to it from that fire side, if anything? Yeah. So 
about a year into it. It was like the first year into COVID. It was Mother's Day weekend. I was up getting at the fire station, getting ready for my physical agility test that was coming up. And I think it was in June or July, but I just wanted to get up there. They were setting the course up and we were just going to go up there and start practicing. And we got up there, started putting my gear on to get ready. Tone's shot for a fire. So we jumped on the truck, hauled ass, and as we were in route, the computer started giving us updates and reports were coming in that there was still a victim inside. We weren't sure exactly what was going on with little bit of notes and little bit of info that we were getting from dispatch other than we knew somebody was still inside. My cap looked back. I'm still, I think I was just barely getting off my probation at that time. So my cap looked at me and my now lieutenant and they're like, Hey, mask up. We're getting ready for a rescue. And I was like, all right, cool. I started masking up in the truck. And as we turn the block, I'm looking for smoke or smells, anything. I'm not seeing anything. I'm not really smelling anything. We arrived on scene. Not really a whole lot showing. My captain said he saw some brown smoke. I didn't see anything. He ended up doing the 360 and we were getting the hose line deployed to the front door. He started yelling, no, bring it to the back door. So we ended up stretching to the back door, try to make entrance. Couldn't, the door was locked. Cap decided to kick it in. And we got heat, met with a lot of heat and smoke. My captain and lieutenant, they ended up going in with our sistering neighbors. They arrived. I was in charge of the hose line, getting it set up for them. Since I was still technically new and here is the first big major incident. My cap wasn't quite confident, which completely understandable. So they ended up going in. I got to the doorway help feeding them a hose and that's when the roof or not the roof the floor collapsed on top of them they ended up bailing out backing out a fire there was a little bit of flickering of flames but at that time the fire's been going for so long it pretty much put itself out so now we have a hole in the floor and still can't find this victim so we ended up going up doing the search nothing we knew that there was still somebody inside just because of the neighbors letting us know, hey, yep, no one came out, blah, blah, blah. So we got everything cleared up, ventilated. And where the chair that came through the floor, when it collapsed, there was the body next to it. So that, that was like a shock for me. At that point, it didn't really... It's affected me, but it really hasn't because I came to copes with, hey, if we got there 10 minutes faster, the outcome still would have been the same. If the neighbors would have called it in X amount of time before this happened, there might have been a fighting chance. But removing the body, the smell, that really got to me. Once you smell a burning flesh, you'll never forget that smell. I've had experience with that working on the farm and then going back to work or COVID and dealing with that a couple months later, we were called out for a cardiac arrest, arrived on scene at our local motel. And there was a five month old that was in cardiac arrest, sexually assaulted by the mother's 
drug dealer that really hit home. So having coped with that fully, understanding the aspect of why somebody would do that to an innocent child, how the mother could choose drugs over your own child. Growing up, my mom chose her men over us kids. And I still to this day don't understand why that's a topic that me and my mother don't talk about and probably for good reasons, but just looking back at it, it's like, it hit home because here I am dealing with my own demons of COVID and now the fatal and now this and my own addiction with alcohol. There's no way that I could pick alcohol over my kids, even in my worst days, because growing up without a father, I, I don't want that for my kids. So I pushed through, we discussed it a little bit. What did you discuss? Just the whole incident of how everybody was feeling, but could have went differently. A huge debriefing. Yeah. As I say, so, so a hot walk. Yeah. Was it immediately following the call or was it, was, had some time passed before you did this debrief? I want to say it was like a week or maybe it, it was a little bit of time after that's one thing that's nice out here is we don't have that usually after an incident right away. I have mixed emotions on those. I guess my first really introduction to that was a month into me being an EMT, we had a line of duty death ambulance smoked the back of a semi. That was stalled on the side of the road. There's more details that I won't get into just for the family's sake and everybody involved in my old company. And then getting into that and then going in the next morning to work and instead of saying good morning to everybody, it was just morning. And here's these counselors coming up like, hey, how are you doing this morning? And it's how the fuck do you think I'm feeling right now? Like we just lost one of our own. And they like hit me like, hey, you're like maybe that's not the time and place to do that, give us a little bit of time to grieve and actually be able to come together as a company and as a family to grieve together before we start throwing these counselors in that have no idea what this job is like. And here they come in all chipper and happy and it's no. So like getting back to the previous episode with TJ, when they were talking about how they came back to the fire station and all these people were there, that's how I felt. Like when he was talking about that, I'm like, this line of duty, like, yes, I felt exactly the same way. Looking back now into this, where I'm at and been to a few, it's like, okay, I understand why they were there. But being exposed first, first time around to one of those kind of put like a salty taste in my mouth. So I didn't really open up a whole lot about this call. And then been on a suicide with another captain. Came in on a Sunday afternoon for uh, check welfare of a person in a car, lots of blood, unknown where it's coming from. PD arrived on scene after we were staged in the area waiting for them to get in there. So they arrived, confirmed that there was a suspect in the vehicle with a single gunshot. Didn't say where. So my cap looked at us and was like, hey, you guys ready? And we're like, let's go. We get there. And mind you, there's families and little kids. Like, I think the youngest might've been like three years old and the oldest probably 11. So I have a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 11-year-old boy. So pretty much my entire age range of kids, I could see them standing over there. And we get there and 
dude ended up taking a 12 gauge and committed suicide to this day. I cannot eat spaghetti. I don't know why my brain made the concept of putting what I see or what I saw with a food group like spaghetti. I used to love and enjoy spaghetti and I can't eat it just before I was, I, before I left this, my old department for my current department, we had another fatal fire. It was in a trailer, came in about 11, 11.30 at night, got there. The crews were already inside making a push. Not sure where the victim completely was. The fire was in the bedroom and that's where they found a victim. We were on the on deck circle, so we were next to go in or do search and rescue. We were just waiting for the IC to give us a task. Other than, hey, you're on the on deck circle, come up and we'll go from there. So the interior crew found them. We got the nod to go get them, bringing them out. Skin started sliding off the guy's body because he was burnt so bad. I still had skin on my gloves from that call that I was unable to get off those gloves that I no longer have. I got rid of them, but he was making that hissing sound. Like I know to some listeners you might understand and some may not, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. This is just the way my brain works and please forgive me, but it sounded like a hot dog being in a microwave when it starts hissing. That's what I can relate it to. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like maybe this guy has a fighting chance. Obviously he's badly bruised or badly burnt. They were going to have to get an airway in and get to work. And so we threw him on the cot. The medics came over. They checked the vitals. And there was nothing. The guy was deceased. And then we ended up picking him up and putting him on the ground because the ambulance crew didn't want the body in the ambulance because it's no dead bodies go in the ambulances. For some that don't know, usually if there's a body that's in an ambulance, you cannot leave until the ME gets there, medical examiner, and they take over the body. So pretty much you'll be out of service until the ME gets there. This crew did not want to do it. So we ended up picking his body up and putting him between the trailer that was his that was on fire and the neighbor's trailer and covered him up with tarp. This all happened when I was going into my academy at my current job. It's first time full-time fire. I've been lucky enough to get that job. So that's where I'm the new rookie again, as you mentioned, coming in that morning of the academy and everybody's talking about how their weekend was and they got to me and I was like, we had a fatal fire. Don't really want to talk about it. My kids were home at the time. And all I can remember is coming home. I, I had my phone on me. And I texted the wife and I was like, hey, <clears throat> I think we had, we were planning on having a couple social drinks at night, watch a family movie and have a couple of drinks. So I messaged her and I was like, make me the strongest drink that you can. I'm on my way back. And she's okay. And she said, something wrong. And I was like, don't really want to talk about it. Just so you know, this is the gist of it. And she's like, okay. 
And I was like, I know the kids are going to be super excited for me to get back home. I'm safe. I was like, I'm literally put the drink in the bathroom. I'm going to go shower, decompress. And I'm just going to pound this fucking drink. And I just want the kids to go to bed. I don't want to deal with them asking like a whole bunch of questions because I'm trying to block it out. And she's like, okay, I completely agree. Like I support you. She's but I think it's okay to be transparent to the kids. So if you're not being your normal self, they understand why, or if you're short tempered, they understand why you're doing it. And I'm like, fine. You know what? You're right. They're old enough. They, they can, sure. So we gave them the PG-13 of, hey, dad had a fatal fire. Dad helped get the person out. So if dad seems off, this is why. I've been dealing with it as much as I can, as best as I can. I was diagnosed shortly after all this with PTSD. And it makes sense to have been always been that person that doesn't go and seek help no matter what. So what made you seek help this time? Why did you, why did you say that enough was enough now and seek out some help? It was causing issues in the relationship to my wife and I, I'm still short tempered with her. Our marriage and our relationship is not happy at all right now. We're working through it. I've made my fair mistakes in this relationship, but she's like, Hey, you need to do something or this is not working. And I have two bonus kids from her and her previous husband that is not a father at all. So they look up to me as the father figure and the only father that they know. And I don't want to lose them because I'm too stupid to go and ask for help on the whole stereotypical, you're a firefighter, you're a badass. You don't ask for help. You bury it deep and you move on. That's bullshit. It's okay to not be okay. I've lost a close friend of mine to suicide. Fellow firefighter, not a not on my department. Of another bigger department here, and I I was been close to that edge. So when she came to me and said, "Hey, either you do this or we're gone." I was like, okay. So that's what I did. Went to therapy for a little bit. I was recommended to get a service animal. We have a six-month-old fox red lab named Bama. He's a duck hunting and my service animal. It's been great. At first, I was like, all right, hey, yeah, this is going to be my hunting buddy. Not really my service animal or my ESA animal, whatever you want to call him. Like, how is this going to bring me joy? Yeah, it's going to be fun training him, getting him outside. Blah, blah, blah. And it's completely has changed. He picks up on social cues when I'm upset. I can come home and sit on the couch and not say a word. And he'll come up and put his head on my chest. And he'll just sit there for hours. Just with his head there. I'll look at him in the morning sometimes. And I'll just say, can I have a hug? And he'll just jump up, give me the hug. And he'll stand there. He's great with the kids. The kids will think it's awesome. Bama gives hugs. So, hey, can give me a hug. And he does it. I, I think if somebody can learn from the path that I've gone down with the alcohol, with the shitty relationships, and seek help before you get to that point, or maybe you're, you find yourself there now, 
there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. You just have to be the one that's in charge and take ownership of it and say, you know what, enough is enough. I don't want to go to another friend's funeral. I know it's going to happen. I don't think mental health will ever go away like we hope it does. But if we can put a curve to it and bring the numbers down, we already have enough tough job as it is that will kill us. Why add more stress to it and take our own lives and not be able to see our family grow up and have that happy life? That's where I'm at right now, taking every day, one step at a time, one day at a time, trying to be better than what I was yesterday or even my last shift. So. You have the service dog, which is fantastic. The idea of a service dog is great. It's that it helps quite a bit. I've read about it. I've, I haven't experienced it, obviously, but I've read about it enough, not studied it, but I paid attention to it. Are you still seeing a therapist once in a while or is that not going on right now? That is not going on right now. I can see how it helps, but at the same time, my pride is getting away. I'm like, it's not helping. So why go? So other than your service dog, what's your plan? So. I enjoy working out a lot, being outdoors. I love duck hunting. I know mental health and sports with guns don't really match. I know, I understand that, but I, I, I'm past that point in my life. Spending time with friends, honestly, finding who I am as a person instead of letting this demon of mental health take reins over who I am as a person. I duck hunt with my best friend. I can call him any day night doesn't matter i can call him anytime and say hey i need to talk he's there if i don't feel safe with guns in the house i call him i'm like hey man i don't feel safe i can go to him and drop my guns off and i know that they're taken care of until i can see counseling and that hasn't happened for quite some time probably two three four maybe even five years dealing with it all and a lot of it's some of it came from the calls, but a lot of the majority of it came from my childhood. Being beaten every day by my mom's ex-boyfriend. And when I'm talking about beating, it's not a little smack on the butt. It's wires from cars that are taped in electrical tape, getting punched in the face. You name it, anything that he could get his hands on to hit you with, he was doing it. And there was no stopping him. So dealing with a lot of that trauma, and then you're going into this line of work where we see things that most people will never see. And we're supposed to be okay about it. So honestly, the, between the counseling and mostly my service animal and my life now, those are what really saved my life. How far into your rookie year are you right now? Into your new rookie year? Let's put it that way. To my new rookie year, I started the academy in April, mid-April. So I'm, on, I'm off probation next April. But actual being on shift with my crew, May 2nd. So I am just a couple months into rookie year for me. And it's not, a, this is not a new thing. So you know how to play the game. Yeah. Have you shared some of these experiences, some of these, what you've learned over the couple of years, well, more than a couple of years over the years, have you shared any of this with the people in your class? Yeah. There's a probie again for his sake and. For my department's sake, I won't give too much details, but there is a probie that his first shift uh, ended up dealing with a 12-year-old that 
killed himself. I spoke with this individual as well as other people about mental health and if anything he's bugging him to reach out. And we get the whole, he's young, he's 19 years old and he's, oh, I'm fine. I'm not losing sleep over it yet. I'm not doing this. And so look, man, I was the same way at your age. Nothing was, I'm bulletproof. Nothing was going to hurt me. Nothing's going to haunt me. I'm bulletproof and seven feet tall. Superman. I was like, but it's going to hit you. It might not be today. It might not be a year from now. It's going to be something small that triggers it, but it's, but you need to talk about it. Even if it's not hurting you right now, just to, my therapist would always say, Hey, the more you talk about it, the easier it gets. Some things it does. Yes. Found that out myself. Sometimes it, and what I'm telling you is not take it and do this. It works for some people and it works and it doesn't work for others. So this is my experience. It has worked for me for some things and it hasn't for others, but I can just person, Hey man, like if you ever need to talk, you have my number, call me, text me, anything that I can do to help you. You've got my number. We see each other all the time, between shifts, whatever. It sucks because I'm two hours away. So I commute back and forth until next month. We actually get a place that's half hour from where I'm at. So it's hard. He texting me or calls me and I needed somebody to talk to. It's a lot of it's by phone or text message, but I just encourage, Hey, talk about it. Or if it happens later on, we need somebody to talk to or get you some kind of help. So it's just, for me, it's, it's paying it forward to somebody because I didn't have that in my corner starting out. I, like I said, watching other family members being in the military and some in the fire service. And like my uncle was an assistant chief way back in the day where it was like dirt roads and horses still. I wish we would have been able to talk about mental health, but unfortunately he passed before I got that chance to actually talk to him about it. And just see how things were different back then other than you're strong, men don't cry, men don't ask for help. You just deal with it and move on. And I think that's something that we as a community need to grasp and break, break that cycle of, Hey, I want to talk about it. And my department encourages it. They, Hey, if you need help, we'll send you to the place out in the excellence place there. The center of excellence. Yeah, that, they'll send you to that. And to me, that's huge because to me, I can feel like I, I can open up and be honest about my feelings and there's not a single person in here that's going to judge me. They're going to get me resources. If that doesn't work, then here's where the next step is. And we just put a huge fundraiser on for one of, one of our guys that needs to go out and we all pitched in and we're like, absolutely. No questions asked. The email came out and I think we did t-shirt orders alone. I ordered four shirts and it was like 85 bucks. I'm like, I don't care financially. It hurts a little bit, but you know what? Helping somebody else that needs it, it's no problem because I know that they would do the same for me. So having that department that gets behind their people and it's like, hey, we're going to support you. It's freaking awesome to me. I haven't really had that a whole lot previously other than the 10 free phone calls of talking to somebody and they want to sit there and talk about how your day is. Been there. Hey, you should read this book and we'll, I'll call you next weekend. We discuss how that made you feel. Okay. How do we t discuss this when 
all I can think about is the suicide or whatever else. Like, when can we start talking about that? They don't understand. That's There's counselors out there that understand this profession, and there's they're willing to help. We just have to reach out and ask for it. That's key, reaching out, admitting that there's time, that it is time for some help and finding that right connection because it's not just help. It's not just any kind of help. It's the help that is going to connect with you and it's going to, it has to, like I said, it has to connect with you. Correct. Yep, absolutely. All right. The last two questions I'm going to ask, the first one being that this show is called The Things We All Carry. Obviously, as I've said on every other show before this, we all carry something into a call, a tool, an aid bag or whatever, but we all carry something out of a call. It seems more personal to us. It could be a scar. It just could be a memory. But I just want to know what's an everyday carry for you, some item that you might have on your person or you just carry around with you each day that without it, you feel like you feel lost. So I got three. One that I personally carry every single day, and then there's two in my fire gear that I carry every day when I'm on shift. Getting to those, it is a patch from my stepdad when he was in the military. He was a door gunner over in Vietnam. And carrying that every day makes me feel like I'm closer to him. And then the second one is Michael Murphy's patch from Lone Survivor. I just feel like we're a band of brothers and we're willing to fight for each other. So I carried that. Did some backgrounds on him. He carried a lot. He carried a fire patch with him while he was over in deployment. So I think that's just a for me, the carrying that is paying honor to him and his sacrifice. And then the one that I cherish every day is a U.S. flag that I have in my wallet. It's a small flag for my uncle's funeral that they gave to me. It's in a bag. I know it's you probably shouldn't carry it, but he meant the world to me. And that's one thing that I carry every single day. It's in my wallet. And there's been days where I, it, I took it out of my wallet or I switched wallets or whatever. And I forgot it at home. I've gone to shift and it's been the shittiest shift I've ever had. Or things just didn't go. And I'm just like, man, like, where is this? And it's like, oh, it's at home. So th those are the three things that I carry daily. I like that they all have a very personal meaning to you. So that's those are good choices. All right. So let's hear a book, a movie, a podcast, a song. It doesn't matter. Something that would resonate with listeners. Something that you think they should read or listen to or study for book wise I, it's extreme ownership by jo jocko willing i love that book i've got the other book that he's given. there's so many books that he has it's, i don't even remember the name it's been a while it, it's in the box somewhere but extreme ownership I, I read that i try to read it every four or five months just to see what i have learned from it or how i can take something new that i've learned out of it and, ex and put it in, into my everyday life song, I think that really hits close to me because I lost both my real father. He died at 52. I was like 16 when I lost him to cancer. And then my stepdad is, if heaven wasn't so far away by Justin Moore, it, it talks about if heaven wasn't so far away that you could bring your kids to see your loved ones and just have that reunion. I got, I, I know my dad and I should say dads are both proud of the man that I've turned into, maybe not some of the choices I've made, but what I'm doing in life, my career, it would just be nice to have that satisfaction of them saying, Hey, we're proud of you. I love you. We'll see each other soon and have the kids, my two youngest daughters, 
don't know my father, my real father. So just having that relationship with them and that those are the two things that kind of get me through when I'm feeling shitty and I just miss my dad or dads. When I say dad, I'm both. It just, again, that's the way I, I am. I turn on that sound and I feel like they're both with me. Or if I see an eagle, they both love the eagle. So when I see those, they just, they're sending me a message. Hey, we're still here. Keep pushing. You're doing, you're doing great. We'll see you soon. So that's, those are the things that I do and I recommend. Perfect. I appreciate all of that. I think that it's all good choices and I'll, I'll link to both of the, to, excuse me, I'll link to both the song and the book in the show notes and people can find them. You're not the first person that suggested extreme ownership. And I think in our community, it's a book that's probably well read. I think any company officer or anybody that's looking for into leadership roles should definitely read that book. I got to thank you. This has been a good conversation. Thanks for sharing and thanks for being open. Thanks for reaching out and asking if, if you could share your story. So I'm always surprised when people are reaching out to me. I'm pleased by it, but still surprised by it. So thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. And again, thank you for giving me this opportunity to be heard and hopefully this helps somebody else. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.